Good morning, church. I can still say that. It's 11.55. And uh, it's been an interesting week for me. I got sick again, whatever's going around. And, uh, but I, um, I was determined to be here. I didn't want to... Uh, Ken did such a great job last time, last minute's notice, I didn't want to give him like post-traumatic stress with, with that again. Uh, so I uh, stayed home a couple days this week and did some work out of the home, and, and uh, so my head's a little full of stuff this morning, not necessarily all good stuff, um, so hopefully I won't cough too much and so forth. I made it through first service pretty good, but uh, so throw up some prayers for me here and there, I'd appreciate it. God is good. And all the time, amen to that. Today I want to talk a bit about memories, if you will. Some of you, uh, to some of you this morning, these words will sound familiar and they'll bring up some memories for you. Memories light the corners of my mind. There we go, misty watercolor memories of the way we were. Some of you, uh, some of you who are a bit younger. I go on, okay, what's the conversation that's happening here? I like the second verse. Memories may be beautiful, and yet what's too painful to remember, we simply choose to forget. I can hear her singing now. Barbara Streisand, right? And the old classic. If you're a romantic, you like that one. Memories. The music industry has made gazillions on memories. Nostalgia. I had a conversation with a sixth grader about a month ago uh, at the drag races in Pomona. I was on a field trip with Mesa Grande with my daughter. Sixth grade class was going to the drag races. We didn't do those kind of field trips when I was a kid. So uh, I get to live vicariously through my kids now and their field trips. And went to the drag races, and uh, we, I, had, I was responsible for a group of kids, and we were walking around through the pits and different things and checking out the different drivers and their cars and all their mechanics working on the cars and so forth. And so we were at this one pit, and the kids were especially enamored with the car and the driver, and, and I was standing off to the side, letting them have their time, and, and I noticed one of the kids was kind of standing with me. And so I just looked down. He was just looking up at me. You know, and there was, a, there was a, a booth across the way. Of a, of a classic music station, they were playing a song, and this sixth grader looked up at me and said, you got to admit, this is a great song. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked down at him, and I uh, just kind of paused, and I said, yeah, I said, why do you say that? And he said, remember, sixth grade, he says, well, it reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> and, and I said, this is getting better. I just, I just have to keep asking questions. And I said, really? I said, wow. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a good sermon illustration someday. And I said, why does it remind you of your childhood? And he says, well, I can hear them singing now. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was like total nostalgia. I can hear them singing now. We're all in the van on a long road trip just singing this song. I thought, wow, yeah, what a great, great memory, you know. Music has a way of doing that, doesn't it? You hear a song instantly. You're taken back to a time in your life where you remember a certain thing that that happened. The sports industry has made gazillions as well on nostalgia. Uh, You know, I grew up uh, a Dodger fan. 
And if you remember 1988, October 15th. Now, that's not way back in the Dodger days, but, you know, I'm just curious. Anybody remember October 15, 1988? Okay. Kirk Gibson, the bottom of the ninth. And boom. And these were Vin Scully's words. Vin Scully, I love these words. After Kirk Gibson hit that home run to win the first game of the World Series against the A's, he says, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. In a year that's been so improbable, the impossible has happened. I relive those memories over and over and over again. My wife and I, this June, will be married 25 years, and there's still one thing she does not understand about me. Only one thing she doesn't understand about me. It's how I can watch old games over and over and over again. She'll say, I don't get it. How do you watch something you already know how it's going to come out? I go, exactly. That's part of the point. And you want to relive those memories over and over. I have DVDs of, of Dodger games from the 70s and so on. Just love listening to Vin Scully and watching those things. And, and uh, just, just good, good times. And uh, the other day, uh, I should say about a month ago, I had a conversation with my surfboards in the garage. And those are memories I have now, too, because I don't go too often. And so one day, I found myself talking to my surfboards, and I said, I told them this. You're going to think I'm crazy. You already know I'm crazy. But I sat and I said, I bet you never thought you'd see yourself in a garage in Beaumont. (laughs) And my son heard me telling this to somebody, and afterwards he goes, Dad, do you really talk to your surfboards? (laughs) I said, yes, yes, I do. Memories can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. They can be an invigorating thing. They can be an empowering thing. But they can also be a, a paralyzing, a paralyzing thing. If we're not careful, we can even become prisoners to our memories. We can become prisoners of our past, trapped, locked up, sometimes maybe even, if you will, in solid, solitary confinement to our memories, bound by our memories. Oftentimes, it's a painful past that we become imprisoned by. A grim shadow of past tragedies, or we like to refer them as ghosts of the past, maybe past loss, past shame, grief swirl around us and cloud our vision of the future and our hopes, preventing us from seeing anything sometimes but darkness and despair. We may have experienced Sudden deaths, broken relationships, bad decisions, cruelties of others, and cruelties maybe even of our own. They cause us to doubt the promises that we believe in and that we've received from God about divine forgiveness, about new life, and the love of God. This morning, I want to look at a passage in Isaiah 43. A passage that God speaks and inspires the prophet Isaiah to write. A passage in which God brings up some memories. God reminds his people of his action in the past. And I want to look specifically at verses 16 to 21 this morning. Isaiah 43, 16 to 21. And Isaiah writes, This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. 
who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And God continues in verse 18, and he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You can imagine the Israelites as God's people are now in exile when, when Isaiah is writing. They're in exile. They've been taken captive again, if you will. And God is coming to them, and, and he's bringing back those memories. Do you remember those days, my people? Do you remember those good old days? Do you remember, do you remember the, the way in the sea that I brought about? And they're like, oh, yeah, the way in the sea. That's when life was good. Do you remember the chariot and the horse? Do you remember all of that? Oh, man, life was good then when we weren't in captivity. God was taking us out. Do you remember the army and the warrior? Oh, you could just see them just kind of reminiscing about the old days. Because that story, the story of the Exodus coming out of Egypt, was what they were all about. Everything always went back to the Exodus. Do you remember? Do you remember? As we approach Easter and we think about Jesus and, and the Passover supper, it all told the story again. Remember, remember. And God was always reminding them, always reminding them about their past and what he had done. And so it seems interesting that in verse 18, God brings up all these wonderful memories of what he's done, but then he says, forget about it. Forget about the former things, God says, and don't dwell on the past kind of seems like an unusual turn, a change that you wouldn't expect in this passage. Because oftentimes it was when the people of God forgot what God had done in their life, it's when they started worshiping other gods and started doing the things they weren't supposed to do. They weren't taking care of the orphans and the widows. And so God would have to remind them again, remember, remember. But now God is telling them, forget the former things. Do not remember. But because God's people were in exile, they began to think that well, that was then, and, and God did that wonderful thing, but our displacement now is going to be a permanent state. That was great, but you can't top parting waters. You can't top extinguishing the enemy when the waters close again. You, you, you just can't top that. But God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And then he continues in verse 19, and he says, See, I'm doing a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. God says, forget, forget that. You have to be looking at the new thing that I am now doing. In fact, it's so new you could never, ever imagine it. It's so opposite in the past, your story was about God parting the sea and providing dry land in the water. Now, God is going to provide water in a dry land. How extremely opposite is that? God doing something completely 
out of the box. I'm about to do a new thing. The freshness of God's ways and the continual possibility of sudden, unexpected turn of fortune. God was about to do something completely out of the box. You know what the famous seven last words of God's people are, don't you? We've never done it that way before. Well, God has never done it that way before. You know, and, we, and we've never done it that way before. You see, when God is in the equation, what he's about to do has never been done that way before. It's always different. Because God cannot be put in a box. And it's too tempting for us as human beings and even as people of God to leave God out of the equation of our lives. We come into situations in our life in which we think, I am stuck here. I, there is no way out of this situation. I don't see any possibility. And we fall back onto that philosophy in which we say, if it's going to be, it's up to who? Me. And we leave God out of the equation. And God says, wait a minute. I'm up to something new. In fact, God is always up to something new. God is always about creating present tense situations. He's always doing something that we're not expecting. Just think about, first of all, this book I hold in my hands. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, there are things that point to what God is going to do in the future, but radically different. God in heaven, God on earth. God's spirit, God in the flesh. God alive, God on a cross in a tomb. A new Jerusalem, a new earth, a new creation. God is always up to something new. Think about when Jesus walked the face of this earth and you lived in those times. You got up in the morning and it was that day you had no idea that God was going to show up in your life like he did in the life of Jesus. One day you're blind, the next you see. One day you're deaf, the next you hear. One day there's not enough food, there's too much food. There's not enough wine, there's more than enough. God doing something new in the lives of people. But why is God so interested in doing something new and fresh in our lives? Well, we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 43, a passage that maybe many of us have fallen back on in times when it's been tough. Isaiah writes in chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, and there's my favorite word again. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob. And in fact, whenever you see the name Jacob or Israel, just put your name there because it means the people of God. He who created you, O Calamesa. He who formed you, O Calamesa. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Why does God want to be so active in your life and in my life? Because you are precious in his sight. And because he loves you. And because he's committed to being your savior. And when has salvation ever been about what I do to get myself out of a situation? Salvation has always been about God rescuing us. It's always been about God providing a way of freedom and redemption and reconciliation and healing. When I was helpless and couldn't do a thing for myself, God came and God saved. I say this because I wrestle in my own life and I know because I have conversations with many. We get into situations in which we go, how how is this going to get turned around? There's just no way. And we forget that God is a savior. And that our savior is always up to something new. New starts and new beginnings. John, remember not the amazing things I did in your life in the past. Be looking for the new thing that I'm up to. Because if you're so caught on limiting me to the past, you'll miss out on what I'm doing now. Now, obviously, we will remember, and because we remember the great things that God has done, it encourages us and inspires us and motivates us to keep believing that God could do something even greater than what he's done before. I heard it once said, the love of God is the most powerful force in the universe. Don't ever forget that. God's love for you is the most powerful force not just in the world, but in the universe. The turn of world history occurred because of God's love for us, shown to the entire world through the cross and through the Christ. Who, who could have ever thought or planned or predicted that God would put himself on a cross? That was a new thing. That was a new beginning for what God wanted to do in the lives of human beings. Thinking back on another old song. Do you remember this one? Anything you can do, I can do better. That's an oldie. It's a classic from Annie Get Your Gun. Anything you can do, I can do better. I was reading different scholars this week, and I love because one person brought this out. I just thought I had to share it with you because I enjoyed it. See, God sings that song, but he sings it differently. He sings that anything I can do, I can do better. 
When you think in your life and the amazing things God has done, anything he has done, he can and will do better. Because he's God. And because he loves you. And because you are precious in his sight. He's committed to saving. He's committed to healing. He's committed to liberation. He's committed to redeeming. If we allow Jesus to lead us, if we allow ourselves to follow Jesus, he's always leading us somewhere. Some of us I know right now are going through tough times. Some of us are in the middle of it. Some of us maybe are coming out of a time. Some of us are maybe entering into a difficult time. We live in a society, don't we, where we expect everything to be now. You start something this morning, you finish it by that day. We expect everything to be instant. We live in what I like to call a microwave culture. You know, if God has taken me through a situation, let's get it done. Come on, God. This isn't fast enough. <clears throat> now, I'm going to share something with you. It's kind of funny, but, but it's true. Now, I like Pop-Tarts, okay? Now, right now you're going, whoa, how would you get the Pop-Tarts from here? I like Pop-Tarts. I don't eat Pop-Tarts because my doctor doesn't want me to eat Pop-Tarts. But I like Pop-Tarts. Now, in a society, we're always on go, 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 right? Microwave culture. Now, I heard that the directions on the Pop-Tart box gave you microwave instructions. Now, first of all, anybody who knows how to eat a Pop-Tart doesn't microwave a Pop-Tart. You toast a Pop-Tart, right? But if you're in a hurry that morning and you really don't have time to toast your Pop-Tarts, first of all, you have an issue, okay? You need help. You need to slow down. But if your life is so fast that you have to microwave your Pop-Tarts, they have directions on the side of the box of how to microwave a Pop-Tart. Guess how long you're supposed to put a, mic- uh, a Pop-Tart in the microwave for? Three minutes. Three seconds. Three seconds. I kid you not. You don't believe me, so I'm going to put it up there for you. There it is. In fact, they're pretty sure you don't even know how to take them out of the box. Remove pastry from pouch. Place pastry on a microwave, what a dish, whatever, microwave on high setting for three seconds. And then cool briefly before handling we live in a society that doesn't go, can't go fast enough. And I want to tell you this morning that if you are in a situation, you find yourself in a situation in which you're wondering if you're ever going to get out, be still and know that he is God, that you are precious in his sight and that he loves you, he's committed to saving you, and he is, believe it or not, he's up to something new in your life. Something new and fresh. And he's inviting you this morning. He's inviting you this morning to let him out of the box. Don't keep him in the box no matter how amazing he has acted in the past. He's saying, remember not the former things. Don't dwell on those things. Be awake. Be present to me now. Be aware of what I'm up to because I'm doing something new. So new you could never even imagine. And isn't that the way God is? Oftentimes, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Something happens, you know, I could have never predicted God to act that way. I could have never thought that he would have done A, B, and C. But isn't that just like God 
that he does it. About 25 years ago or more, probably more than 25 years ago, I heard who was one of my favorite preachers at the time, Benjamin Reeves, some of you may know the name, preach a sermon on this text. And I remember something, an illustration that he used, and I just want to share it with you today. He said, we all know what a pessimist is, right? The glass is half empty. An optimist, the glass is half full. He says, but do you know what a pess-optimist is? A pess-optimist is somebody who believes it's all going to work out, but it's just going to happen when it's too late. (laughs) And the great thing about God, in which we can trust God, is that when he does something, it's always going to be right on time. It's always going to happen exactly when he wants it to happen. So it's perfect timing. We don't have to worry, we don't have to stress, we don't have to be anxious about when and if and how because our Savior loves us and is taking care of us. And he is leading us. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. The words that I invite you into this morning. Who is the definitive player in your life, in my life? Is it me? Is it my boss? My coworkers? My classmates? My teachers? No. The definitive player in your life and mine is God. And when God says he's up to something new, he means it. He means it. We can be confident. We can be confident in the continual mercy and love of God in our life. Trusting our Father's faithfulness and assuming his sovereign surprises. Let's pray. Lord, it just doesn't get any better than you. And Lord, we are constantly amazed at your greatness, at the fresh experiences you constantly provide. Forgive us, Lord, when we uh, were amazed by your past and try to put you in the box of what you've done in the past. Give us the grace, Lord, today to be watching for you and looking for what you're up to, to remember not the former things, whether painful past or a positive past. May we, Lord, be looking for the new thing that you're up to because you are up to something. And it's different in all of our lives because we're all different and in different situations. So I thank you that in your omnipotence, you are not limited or bound. So Lord, we praise you this morning for saving us, for leading us in paths of freedom and liberation and healing and restoration and redemption. May we just allow you to be you and trust you as we move forward. Take a moment now just in silent prayer to be still and know that he's God and ask for the grace to be aware of his activity in your life. And now as you go, may you be attentive. May we be aware 
and enjoy God's fresh new thing that he's up to in our lives this week and in the lives of those that we walk this life with. God bless you. And great, go in grace and peace. I'm not going to go out and shake hands today because of what I'm fighting, so I don't want to pass anything along. So God's grace be with you.